Today we are talking to Jacob, the CTO and co-founder of Stored, and we discuss Jacob being featured in Inc. and Forbes 30 Under 30, how to position yourself as an authority and keeping your customers close to the product. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Dude, so are you having a good day? It's going pretty well. I can't complain. You know, it's a warm, sunny Friday. Lots of work getting done. Can't complain. How about you? I'm good. Where are you at, like physically? Uh, We're located out of Atlanta. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. So yesterday was a bit rainy for us, but uh, today is nice and sunny. Nice. We're just down in Florida. Okay. So routinely sunny for you guys. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It was a great day today. We had a super, super crazy morning. So thanks for helping us out with that. Oh, yeah, yeah. No worries. Uh, I definitely know how that goes. So, <laughs> so definitely understand. I really like the the simpleness of your brand, the, the stored brand. It like looks really cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. We're trying to, uh, part of what uh, we're working on both inside our inside our app and just overall is streamline our brand and you know, streamline it to the minimum so it's super clear for customers, leads, anyone working with us. Yeah, because communicating your value, what you do, that's ultra important. <laughs> yeah, and it's definitely easy to both in terms of, I think, our copy and in terms of UI get too convoluted in having a million different things going on and uh, really just end up confusing everyone rather than helping. Yeah, so I was just trying to wrap my head around it. And do you use the extra space in warehouses and then leverage that? Is that, is that what's happening? There's like warehouses have extra space. And then what you do is you take all the extra space at all the warehouses and kind of bring it together in a platform. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhat. Um, pretty much like, you know, if you think about it, um, these existing third party warehouses, you know, their entire business is basically filling their space with other businesses products. Um, and so, you know, everyone, the industry as a whole sort of talks about what is the excess space across, you know, industrial warehousing as a whole. But realistically, if you think about it, there's always going to be a bit of excess capacity. Um, just because, you know, if you're a business, if you're a warehouse, you can, you can operate at a hundred percent, but only for so long until you end up in this, you know, sort of catch 22 position where, Obviously, 100% is, you know, theoretically, you're maximizing capacity, but you actually get less efficient if you reach, start getting too close to that 100%. And then if you have any overflow, you're immediately screwed. So um, we basically work with these existing third-party warehouses that pretty much always have excess capacity that we can leverage in that single point um, for businesses. Interesting. Yeah. Cause you can't just like put it outside. <laughs> yeah. Put it. yeah. Well, I mean, you'd be surprised what, uh, what some businesses are depending on right now. It's pretty crazy. So there's, there's, you're calling these things third-party warehouses. I don't, I don't know. I'm not in this industry. What's a third-party warehouse? Yeah. So, um, basically if you think about it, um, sort of similar to, you know, development or, um, whatnot you have businesses will typically have 
some existing facilities that they own or lease themselves and they'll manage um, and they'll run and do all of the internal work inside. But then third-party warehouses are basically uh, warehouses that exist as a business to store other companies' product. Um, so, you know, if I'm a company selling, um, you know, fancy water bottles or something, I Ooh. may, if I'm a huge company, I may have one or two of my own facilities, but more than likely I will leverage two or three of these third-party facilities that I don't own. I don't personally like personally move the product inside. Um, and I basically pay these warehouses for the service. Right. Cause if I'm on the East coast, right, I'm doing well, most of my business is on the East coast. And then we're starting to get a little bit of action over on the West coast. I might not want to buy my own warehouse facility, but at the same time I need to service those customers. So I'll get one of these third party warehouses and that's what happens. Yeah, exactly. You see a lot of businesses use it for the flexibility for testing new markets, um, just growing too quickly to really invest that capital in, you know, a building um, and really just to, you know, expand their presence. Interesting. So you tie that space together with your software and then you have to integrate with the warehouse, third-party warehouses existing software or do you provide them the whole suite and they use you for everything so yeah so we um we do pretty much all of the above <laughs> okay uh, so we integrate all the way through providing that software to the warehouse itself um so in they're basically their warehouse management system all the way up through our system where we're basically playing that middleman management to assist the customer and the warehouse with streamlining everything um, through to the customer side where um, it's basically an order management and inventory system for the customers so they can get flexibility and insight to be able to say, oh, well, you know, my product movement is showing that I should really have a warehouse in this location because XYZ, that would optimize my spend. You know, this is my inventory across these different locations all of these different factors. Interesting. So you're kind of doing like urban planning for your inventory through third party warehouses. <laughs> right, <you're> saying, like <laughs> yeah, your yeah. analytics are telling you where to place it based on, you know, where space is available and how their business is going. Yeah. So it's a really interesting thing. Um, you know, most businesses, uh, especially as you reach these large scale enterprises, they're you know, part of what they're focused on is really taking and optimizing where they're placing their facilities. Because if you consider someone with the scale of, you know, let's just say Amazon, for example, the exact point that they place their facility across the map really, really matters when they're trying to hit a certain, you know, distribution level of, you know, in Amazon's case, they're trying to get all the way down to, you know, like two hours type thing. But um, for most businesses that matters quite a bit when you factor in all the shipping, all the freight. Um, so we're able to leverage something that pretty much no one else is able to, um, in that we have all of this market data because we've gone out and collected all of these third party warehouses and are actually organizing all of this data and product movement to be able to tell companies the actual locations that they really should locate. 
Oh, that's neat. So what do you like consume their ordering data or you consume some sort of repository of their existing data and then tell them what to do? Yeah. So, um, we do a bit of both. Um, so in taking their existing that right now is more of a, uh, more of like a consultation type setup for us. Um, but once they are on our system, we can pull from, you know, if they already have that data in say an ERP system or somewhere else, we can pull all of that data, um, alongside any orders or inventory that they're running through our system. And we can really just pull all of that together to really optimize their overall distribution. So is warehousing like a family business and you just applied technology to this? Like, how did you come across this problem? So we, uh, my co-founder and myself, we were part of this supply chain and logistics accelerator up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And um, there, it was started by these three guys who created this freight brokerage that merged with Coyote Logistics and ended up selling to UPS for um, just over a billion dollars. And um, so they bring a huge amount of logistics industry experience um, and brought a lot of different companies and mentors such as um, you know GE, Ryder, some big 3PLs like Kenco, um, a large variety of different companies. And we basically sat down with each of these different companies and really got to understand their pain points in their distribution and supply chain and um, have just been iterating on that ever since. And how long have you been going at this for? So we've been doing this for just over a year now. The accelerator was fall of 2016. So yeah, I guess a year and a half almost. And how did you get from Chattanooga down to Atlanta? Well, we were actually based out of Atlanta initially and uh, relocated for the accelerator. So how did you meet your co-founder specifically? Like how did that relationship, did you know him before? Like how did this go about, come about? Yeah, so we, um, so previously I was running a um, digital agency. So I was consulting um, different digital and tech startups, um, building different applications, helping with their marketing. And my co-founder had been doing several different businesses prior and he had been working in lean manufacturing. Um, so he was traveling all over the world, looking at these different manufacturing plants and trying to improve their supply chain as well. And so we met actually through this, um, startup entrepreneurship newsletter and community, um, here in Atlanta. Um, and we grabbed coffee and sort of kicked it off from there on a newsletter. No, no, no. Um, there's a, uh, there's a startup community in Atlanta. They have a newsletter, all sorts of different things. And he was authoring and then you wrote, you replied back and he's like, no one ever replies. And, then, <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, let's go get coffee. <laughs> yeah, no, he, um, so he was actually doing a totally different, um, version of sort of storage at the time. And I thought, oh, wow, that's interesting. You know, another smart entrepreneur who's, you know, who's really trying something new. And um, I, I knew that I wanted to get more involved in the space. And um, so I reached out to him to grab coffee, learn more, and we hit it off and uh, basically pretty quickly went up to Chattanooga, turned into what we're doing today and have been off to the races ever since. That's awesome. Yeah, I had a I have a friend named Don. He's the CTO at University Tees. 
Okay. And he sent he sent me an email last week. He read this book on lean manufacturing and it might have actually just been called lean manufacturing. But <laughs> he took he took the principles of that and then applied it to some bottlenecks in his development life cycle and was teaching his team about that. Interesting. So he applied lean manufacturing to development? Yes. Huh. I'm going to have to talk to my uh, co-founder a bit more. <laughs> yes. And I, I'll, I'll forward you the email because he, I think he sent it to me along with his team, just kind of like show me. Uh, but yeah, he, definitely unique. And he was all pumped about the book and he got his team to buy in. And they, I think they started it. I think they've been going at it for two weeks now with this new concept. So I'm going to reach back out to him and say, Hey, how's it going? And we were talking about you. Um, and all that good stuff. And, and then I'll, I'll let you know, I'll, I'll loop you in on the email. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, no, oh, this guy does, knows all about manufacturing, like knows all about this stuff. So I also saw you guys use drift. We do. We do. That's been, uh, something we implemented, I guess a few months ago. Oh, nice. Do you like it? Yeah, we like it quite a bit. Um, it's interesting. I mean, I haven't played around with all of the different sort of chat systems out there, but, um, Pretty good. I will say, no offense to Drift, but my one complaint is, um, so, you know, like most companies, we use Slack. And so, of course, we, you know, have that Slack Drift integration. Mm -hmm. But what it does is every single time a person messages on Drift, it opens up an entirely new channel on Slack. So instead of one channel with, you know, different, um, different comment sections or, um, uh, what are the different like threads? conversation. Yeah. yeah, instead of different threads on the same channel, it opens a million different channels all the time. So, <laughs> ooh, but uh, I'm gonna. Uh, you want me to text their CTO right now? <laughs> man, go for it. <laughs> tell them. Tell them we're a happy user, though. <laughs> we're happy. All right. So his name's uh, Ilias Tors, and uh, I, I hope that's his right last name. Is that his right last name? Is that? Tours. Okay, cool. Yeah, we were uh, at, hanging out in Tampa like last week or the week before. He was giving a talk, and uh, really cool dude. Like super motivated and high energy, and just a really cool person you'd want to hang out with. Yeah, no, I mean Drift is definitely they're killing it in what everything they're doing, and especially in how I think they're thinking about not just themselves as you know just a product, but how they can really be integral and move forward into owning that entire sales marketing process. So they're doing a lot of really interesting things. Yeah. You know, they, they came from leading the engineering team at HubSpot. I did not know that actually. That's really interesting. Yeah. So they went to HubSpot, grew it really big, then left, went to started drift in Boston just with him and his co-founder. And then they went from 20 employees to 110 in the past year, and they're going to be at 200 and something at the end of this year. Dang, that's insane. I know. That's a huge management jump. <laughs> right? So when I think, when I, I, I actually, I switched from Intercom to Drift when I met Ilias because I liked him. <laughs> yeah. And and also I liked, they have like, they have many features and then they're, they have some really cool features that they that I don't immediately see, but after I start using the product, uh, it's a lot better than Intercom in a lot of ways. I, I don't even know if it's a if or or, but their ability to 
automatically schedule the calendar appointments is really, really, really neat. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's yeah. a lot of really impressive things that I see them continue to roll out. And uh, I'm impressed by their speed for sure. For the quality of it to be what it is with that fast of an expansion is really like an engineering marvel, right? Yeah. So definitely. So I, I, I'm a fan. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Don't let my uh, complaints of Slack dissuade you. <laughs> oh, no, dude. Me and LA, so we're going to show up at your house and be like, <laughs> be like, we need some warehouse app, some place to store the body. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, tell him, tell him uh, that he can use our warehousing and we'll, we'll keep using his, his chat. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, but feedback is always great, right? Because you have a million things going on and they, yeah. uh, they all have their employees use their own software. So that's always, you know, a good way to get feedback too. Yeah. And I've, I mean, I've always thought that's really interesting too, because, you know, there's also, of course, in that, you know, in, for example, my feedback, um, I may be an anomaly in, in disliking that compared to, you know, the average user of theirs. So interesting to see, you know, perhaps what the whole story is on their side. Yeah. So interesting. We have to always look at the data, right? Because, it's we're building the system for everyone so we prioritize by the data everybody has their individual like who knows that could have been a feature they added (laughs) (laughs) because like thousands of people requested it right yeah yeah exactly so how did you how did you get on the other than just like straight up being awesome how did the forbes 30 and you're the third person you're my third guest like in a row to be on Forbes 30 under 30, not in a, really? not a row. Yeah. We had Bruno from Uru and they do video recognition and he came from Cornell tech. And then we had another individual from Cornell tech. His name is Mike Wang and he uh, has a startup in New York city as well, right next to Uru. And then they actually do a chat thing, but for scheduling um, hairdressers and like, salon type messages so if the individual is getting a haircut they can't or if the hairdresser is giving a haircut they can't be on their phone texting people that are asking them about appointments so this is a bot that just schedules the appointments automatically while they're away from the phone which huh. is really really neat yeah. yeah and then and then now we have you it's like we have this like forbes 30 under 30 like following now it's awesome <laughs> yeah you're on a roll man just Keep them going. <laughs> I know. I just missed out. My birthday was last week and I hit 30. So I have like, I make all these friends that are on the list and I miss out by a couple months. <laughs> oh man. Dude, you, there's, uh, there's gotta be some more lists, you know, there's gotta be, there's gotta be like, what? Uh, there's probably like movers and shakers 40 under 40 or something. That just feels like a, like a sad tear filled consolation prize. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. Oh, wait, here we go. You've got fortune 40 under 40. You can do it. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty up there. <laughs> it's up there. I'll, I'll, I'll start working at that when I'm 37 and like, I don't hate it as much. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I gotcha. So we'll prepare for the next seven years. So how did, how did that come about? Did they show up on your door and they're just like, we've realized how awesome you are and we want <laughs> to give you this award. Yeah, no, um, I've, forget who, um, someone, I feel really bad. Um, someone recommended us for it. Um, I actually don't very special person. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then, 
it's um, it's a whole process. Um, I mean, there's there's sort of a whole process behind it of a million different forms that you fill out, and and then somebody, I think I think there was like a couple calls just to better understand what we do and get an idea. And I think at every step along the way, each you know each new form that they have you go through, each call, everything um, is sort of like another step along the way. So there was quite a few different interactions before before anything came out. But it was interesting because once you get to what is sort of um, the, you know, almost sort of like the final round, I guess, before you are considered in. In our case, it was we had sort of a final follow-up call um, to nail down some different parts about our business and different things. And then, you know, they don't tell you anything until it comes out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you have no idea until uh, until it came out and we were like, awesome like this is great this is good news no i mean that's like super highlight of the week right (laughs) yeah yeah no for sure especially for you know trying to what we're trying to do with build building our brand and uh you know growing what we're doing in the warehousing industry yeah and you you come from a marketing startup background Mm -hmm. so how have you turned on your propaganda machine at stored (laughs) (laughs) yeah well believe it or not um we actually haven't focused extremely heavily this past year on marketing um because our primary thing you know i think there's i think there's somewhat of too much hype around the idea that the perfect product does all its own marketing to some extent i think that's true um but also you have to get someone to use it first um, to then tell all their friends. But um, we've primarily spent this past year really focused on our early customer base, growing that and developing that product to, you know, really accomplish all the values we're trying to provide and um, really optimize what's existing. Um, So we're actually ramping up our marketing now, um, but almost all of our marketing has been um, around some of our search engine optimization um, and a few different interviews here and there. And then uh, surprisingly enough, which sort of goes to the value that we're creating in the marketplace, almost all of our large, you know, a lot of our large enterprise customers and a lot of our um, sort of key customers have all been inbound. Now, do you think it would have been... So you guys have been at this for, you know, over a year. Do you think it would have been helpful if you've been like writing about the problem that ultimately stored solves every week for like the past year? That's a tough question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, in a way it definitely would. I think, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an eternal optimist, so I'm always biased to look towards the positive of everything. (laughs) Oh yeah. Uh, But, uh, which in this case, you know, I think, I think while that would have been good, I think in some cases it was actually better that we didn't because I think a lot of it, what it allowed us to do is I think, I think in some cases, um, companies, while it's extremely important to build that demand for your product, I think in some cases companies are too focused. It's, I don't know. I think it's a strange scenario where in the past companies used to be too focused on 
building for what they think the users want. And then they would realize that there's no demand and they wouldn't sell anything. And now I think it's almost the opposite problem where everyone says, you know, go out and build this pre-sale list of everyone who's bought in and then build the product, Um, which is great to some extent. But I think a lot of companies struggle with, they have, and it's a good problem, they have so much demand that their product takes almost a back burner to the sales, um, which we've seen this play out with some different companies we're familiar with where, you know, they have this grand vision of what they're trying to solve, but then they're so focused on growing overall customer numbers, overall sales numbers, and so on and so forth that the actual technology that's supposed to be driving it doesn't get built. Um, And so we, we sort of came to the realization that you know, for anything to really scale and to really provide that value long term to these companies, we have to really focus on the technology and the product that we're building out. And so I think to some extent, having not done that was actually in some ways a bit of a benefit in that we could work a little more, uh, I don't want to call it stealth mode because <laughs> we definitely didn't want to be hidden, but um, a little more unnoticed in the sense that we can fine tune different things as we got those early customers who were extremely interested in what we were offering, who were out there actually looking for what we were offering. Um, Mm. And now I think we're at a point where we can go out and market to the ones who don't even realize they need what we have. And once they see that, they'll be able to see the value that we've built up at this point. Okay. So you brought up like a ton of stuff in my head. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, go for it. That you was a long answer. Fireworks, right? <laughs> all right. So the first thing is, is I agree with you uh, on all of it in, in what I'm imagining is your experience behind it. So I do see companies that go sales heavy and then they let go of the product a little bit. And I see companies that go product heavy and they, they ignore the sales and don't even think about it. Right. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's a choice that you necessarily set out to make. What I have seen in my experience is it's the composition of the people leading the company. So if you have a co, if you have two or three co-founders and, and one co-founder is excellent at operations, one co-founder is excellent at marketing and propaganda and content, and then one co-founder is excellent at product and you resource them and they're a team and they work well, well, you get something like drift, right? Mm-hmm. Where they just explode because you're, they're solving the, the product. People are on the product operations is on the operations and you know, it's a balance among the team, like within the team for the content. I don't think it's necessarily, and I'm, I'm really interested because like I've started to have these conversations after, you know, speaking with Peter and some other people that are really into content. And in mm-hmm. what I'm, what I'm kind of noticing is everybody's mind goes to content about the product, like to sell the product. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that the benefit is content and positioning yourself as an authority on the problem and showing the world that you understand the problem. Because when I come across someone, when I read and find different authors, and I'm trying to find a solution, I'm trying to find a solution. I'm searching about the problem. Right. And Mm -hmm. when I find someone who understands the problem, who like really gets it and they see different perspectives and they have different solutions and all of a sudden that marks them in my head, I've consumed their content. I have marked them as an authority on this topic. So if I, and then that brings validity and social proof to the fact that they have the solution. So you could be 
like you could be generating content about the the problem and positioning as an authority for that you know that's one option too so you don't have to necessarily write about the product itself before it's ready or you can still stay stealthy but position yourself as an authority on the topic yeah no that's that's definitely a good point and uh definitely something that we've actually been talking about in terms of doing that now so um definitely an agreement there yeah i'm just curious i have i've never had these content conversations before and then a couple companies they saw the podcast and they started reaching out and asking if we would make content for them. I was like, no, 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 because we, <laughs> we do the podcasts and then a couple more asked and then we were like, well, maybe. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> and, and then, and then we we're like, all right, cool. So we gave it a try. We made some content and we we're like, oh man, dude, we're like pretty good at this. And then we started <laughs> making content for other people and they were like, all right. I was, I was previously like against content. <laughs> and oh, yeah? Then, really? Yeah. Dude, I'm a developer for 17 years, man. That's like, fair. That's fair. <laughs> like, I, I'm all about the product, man. I would I would have a company and it would be all product. I'd be like, what are you talking about sales? <laughs> Give us more money. <laughs> like, we're yeah, building stuff. The product's stuff. better. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And yeah. then I realized real fast that uh, I had completely dismissed sales teams and I'm like, Oh my God, the company doesn't exist without sales. Eventually yeah. people don't give you money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's hard to build a product with no money from no sales. <laughs> right. And then I was like, well, I can't ge- generate sales without content, but I was making yeah. salespeople develop the content and it wasn't very good. And then I was having marketing people develop content, but they were so their heads were so in the clouds and I had technology <laughs> products and I really needed my developers to write content. So then I started yeah. getting my, my team to write content and then they just like to write code. They're not really good at writing content. <laughs> uh, all that being said, I still made money. Yeah, I just constantly push content either out of my mind or as a task to someone else who shouldn't be making content. And then <laughs> who would have thought like a decade later, I'd end up being like content's good and we have a team that makes content. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. It's, I don't know. It's a, it's a shifting space for sure. I think, I think though it plays into, you know, and this is sort of my marketing bias background. I think it plays into the changing landscape of nobody really, I don't know, like there's always going to be a place for direct sort of outbound sort of targeted sales, but people prefer to absorb and consume information at their own pace and get drawn in by that, you know? So I think that plays a huge part, especially if you're talking about a product people, or at least maybe it's just me, but I'm, I'm not a huge fan when I try to learn more about a product and I get 20 million pop-ups that are trying to command my attention versus just getting to explore and consume that information. You got to be chill, man. You got to, it's like uh, any relationship, you know, you kind of have to see the person and be like, oh yeah, that's, that's so-and-so. And And it's like, all right, cool. They're over there. And then you see them a couple more times (laughs) like, and you talk to them and then like you, you become, you develop a a relationship. It's if somebody ran up to you, it's like, I want to be your friend. You'd be like, oh man. (laughs) this is a problem. Yeah. You'd be like, definitely not what should happen. Yeah. So you got to consistently, you just have to consistently be there and like raise your hand and say, this is what I do. You know, this is what's going on. And then that's kind of what you're doing with stored, right? You, every single day, like we're stored. This is what we do. This is what's going on. We're experts. Like if you need us, we're here. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think, I think also with that, just being um, sort of transparent in a way in, in, I think what you mentioned of just owning that, hey, we know there's a problem here and we're working to fix it. And just like, this is how we're understanding the problem. This is XYZ of how we're coming to this solution. Yeah, that way they can read it and be like, this this person gets it, right? Yeah, definitely. Well, we, have, we have a question from the live stream. Oh, Are you pumped about this? Let's okay. do it. I even ask, in the tech aspect, which was the biggest challenge in order to fusion the physical warehouse's daily work with a user remote interaction in the platform? Wow, that's a good question. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean... One of our um, one of our investors he he always likes to say that we're you know we're moving things in blocks with bits you know we're Ooh. we're trying to control the real world through you know through all these different bits that we're really just moving around on the screen so I mean for us in our case it was a bunch of different key features that we came to realize over this manual process. So one of the things that we thought was really important as we set out to build this product and set out to try and improve distribution for companies was we didn't want to build a product that we thought would be useful. And we didn't want to build something that one company found useful. So what we did is, and this sort of goes back to um, what we were talking about with, you know, whether you have too much sales or too much product and how that sort of flows together. In our case, what we did is we basically built this very, very minimal MVP product. And we went out and we sold customers, got customers, and started working with these warehouses and these customers. And pretty much we had this product but we pretty much did everything manually. We learned all of the existing ways that customers interacted with warehouses and ways that warehouses were moving the product inside the facilities. And we just started taking stock of, okay, this is the most time consuming. This is where the most errors pop up. You know, this is where data gets lost between the customer and the facility you know, this is where the insight is lost. And we started chipping away at each of those things with software to basically break down both for the customer and then for the facility, um, how they could really optimize what they were doing. So in the facility case, um, a lot of times these facilities are independent owner operator. So basically, you know, you have one or two owners and you have um, you know, basically a small business running this warehouse. And most of the time they are not necessarily tech forward. Um, so they're just trying to run their business as best as they can, you know? And mm -hmm. in our case, what we're coming in and we're saying is, look, we've learned and we've taken stock of how most warehouses are running their facility and how you're running your facility and we can help you in this process of, you know, say pick and pack the product of taking the product off the truck of these different 
physical pieces and we can employ software at these key points that allow you to do less physical work overall in the sense of, in a lot of cases, warehouses are actually manually scheduling these orders. So someone in the front office is, for example, placing an appointment window for a specific dock door on a bulletin board or something. And then everyone's coming back over to check this bulletin board and then determine, you know, is the truck here? Should I go out? Should I bring the product in? What's going on? And I mean, this is something that, you know, we just think, you know, being very tech focused, we just think, oh, there should be a calendar that everyone has access to that tells people when they're supposed to go to the dock door, whose appointment it is, these different things. But in a lot of cases, these aren't employed. So we were, we basically looked at the manual process first and then learned how we could leverage the software to improve or remove that process versus coming in and bringing that software outside without working first manually and trying to totally shift what they're doing, if that makes sense. That absolutely makes sense. It's the way the best products get made. And I wish I could just convince everyone to do it this way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it was, uh, it was definitely a learning curve for us anyways, um, to really understand the complexities of these unique processes inside the warehouses. So I, you know, I think if we tried to do it any other way, we would, we would have almost zero success. You know, we should write a book after this called like building technology, the right, the right and wrong way. <laughs> because yeah. I'm talking to all these people all day and it's, it's unbelievable how there's, Everyone that's doing well or everyone that's having some success, they're all doing the same things. Yeah. Everyone that's running out of money and not doing like that's having issues and also they're they're all doing the same things. There's two very black and white systems. And the only way I'm seeing them is by seeing talking to so many people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's really interesting when you look at, you know, when you zoom out at a forest, every tree looks the same, right? But when you zoom in, all the ones that are the tallest and able to capture the most light have the exact same features, exact same criteria. And uh, I think that's definitely the case with business. I'm going to use that. I like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so how did you financially survive? What was the, the that situation like when you were going around and learning and trying to figure it out? Like, what, what was the situation that you had that allowed you the time to go and explore and interact with these warehouses and understand their business? How did that come about? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, so basically what we did is we, we've operated with revenue for pretty much the entire length of the business. So we didn't, you know, in this learning process, Obviously, there was a lot of unique processes that we had to learn mm -hmm. and a lot of things that we could optimize with software, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we shouldn't take revenue for optimizing them manually. So when we went out and we did all of this manually initially and learned all of these different processes, we still charged for it. Um, 
obviously we couldn't charge for the value that our software is bringing now, but we were able to charge to bring revenue in the door and start growing um, the business that way. Um, and then at the same time, you know, we did the accelerator, took a small amount of accelerator funding. We've raised um, investment following that, and we're actually in the midst of a fundraise right now for our seed round. Nice. I'm finding that people, I guess we'll call them tech entrepreneurs or something, like a general, like a small, a small trend, micro trend that I'm seeing is that they tend to be scared to go out and talk to clients and get clients on board with what they're doing and to help be a, a pillar client as, as they build their product. They tend, they tend to be more scared to do that, but they don't seem to be shy at all for going and doing, uh, asking investors for their money. <laughs> <laughs> going to 20 meetings, they'll go to 20 investor meetings and say, we want 200 grand for 0.02%. We're going to be a unicorn. But they, have, <laughs> they, they, they say that, but they, they won't just go to 10 warehouses and say, hey, we're trying to solve this problem. This is the idea. We want money for X or consulting or however you did it, right? Mm -hmm. And in, this is where we're going. And then this is the process of how we get there. Like you in and then just going around over and over and over and figuring out who's in, right? Yeah, I, it's definitely a really strange thing I think that you see sometimes. And um, I think in some ways it's this sad situation where I think it's great that startups and entrepreneurship and especially tech startups are, you know, the new trendy thing. Everyone like nowadays, you know, tech, you have these large scale tech founders that are famous, you know, just because they're simply the founders of some sort of tech company, which I think is a very unique thing that never really was the case before. And so I think because of that, you know, everyone sees these huge unicorn successes, they see this, these famous tech founders, and um, they want a piece of that. But I think the interesting thing is that there's so many startups now that are in some ways deluding themselves in um in believing that they're truly changing an industry or creating this 10x value where they're really only doing a small step change that prevents them from seeing that because they're so focused in talking to their investors and playing the startup game versus talking to real users and real customers and seeing Hey, maybe this isn't the exact solution that's needed in the marketplace. Yeah, we we've trained a whole generation on it's good to go through rounds of funding. Yeah. Like I'm in round C or D or I've got this for that or whatever. They they they'll congratulate each other. It's like, "Bro, you just gave up part of your business for, <laughs> for money because the yeah. market give you enough money to grow your business. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. It's, it's crazy. It's not glamorous. It's something that you do out of necessity. It's not something that should cheerleader should be happening. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think, I think VCs to some extent, and I think, I think there's starting to be this realization that, Hey, you know, we can't keep funding this financial arbitrage of the next person to like the early pre people, early investors to get in, they do all right because they push them to raise more money that allows them to get out through selling their ownership in the next fundraising or whatnot. And like this never ending 
liquidity process of just financially propping up the uh, valuation. And I think I think people are starting to wake up to that and realize, you know, the point is not so much how valuable the company is. The point is how much value the company is creating. And um, I think I think that's starting to change, but I think it's definitely a slow process. Preach it, Jacob. Come on. <laughs> I'm trying. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, dude, get up on that stage. I was on LinkedIn and I saw someone, some analyst article analyzing this, that, and the other financials, the report. And everyone was like, oh, great report. I put a comment on there. I said, let's see the report that shows what value the company actually brings to the market. Yeah. Where's that report? Like, I want to see the human report. I want to see Amazon allows you to one click buy stuff. Like, I don't Not need even Amazon click. numbers. Just use your voice. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If those are the those are the metrics to which companies should be judged, the value they bring to a market, because currency is simply a way to exchange value. Yeah. It's a it's a medium to exchange value. And if a and people, it's it's kind of like a the past. You're analyzing history when you're looking at the numbers, right? It's you could lose all the special people, and tomorrow stop bringing the whole market value, right? But yet, mm-hmm. all your numbers will say you're going to keep going up. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, and you you made a great point. Like the guy that did Sun Microsystems, I just pulled that out of my head. Um, <laughs> he, and, and and like the 1980s, the guy who made like a, a microchip and you know whatever made millions and millions of dollars no 13 year old kid was like oh, i want to be sir Og the third or something like that yeah. like, nobody wanted to be that person the, the kids did not want to be that and everyone's like i want to be zuckerberg yeah exactly or you know oh snapchat blew up i want to be evan spiegel oh right. for example you see like this is you know still the tech space but obviously a lot more hardware but elon musk with his companies. They, they've got such a celebrity presence now that um, I think it's it's shifting people's desires, I think. Yeah, and I, I actually, I like the, the perspective that people want to be Elon Musk in the sense of bringing good products into the world that actually change life and improve it for everyone. I like that. I, I don't like that. I don't believe that that's most people. I think they just want the money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The money or the fame or the glory, you know? (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think the struggle as well is, I mean, the thing that I think is impressive amongst many things about, for example, Elon Musk is that he is, you know, he's willing to be open sometimes with the fact that what he's doing is extremely hard and, I mean, you look at different factors of his life and you consider, you know, some of the things, some of the decisions he's had to make around building his companies have taken an effect on his personal life or, you know, different things that he could have done. Um, And when you consider, when you consider all of these negative factors that someone has to also put on their shoulders to get the celebrity status and the money and everything else. I think it would send a lot more people in the other direction. Have you read his life story? I've only read part of his bio so far. I'm working my way through it, but it's pretty crazy. If you audible it, it's way easier. Oh yeah, man. I, oh yeah, it will. Let- I don't know. I uh, I've been trying to get on that get on that bandwagon, but I struggle. I I just really love being able to hold a physical book, and I know that's such yeah. a guilty pleasure, but. 
there's just I think there's a difference in terms of how I remember things when I'm reading it physically versus just hearing it. Yeah, so it's called the forgetting curve. And it based on how you consume the content determines how you'll remember it. And it's actually a curve that'll show you. So if you go read a book and it's this many pages and this long, then you'll remember X amount over time and based on the type of media and then how you consume it, how long it is determines how much of it you'll remember. But everybody's different. That's the thing. So you're, you like your reading because it's sticking with you. For me, audio sticks with me. If I read something does. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. I mean, that's always an interesting thing. And that, you know, that plays into, um, how someone learns something, right? Yeah. That's, it's so important and we don't even need to get into the whole, how the school system's entirely backwards, but yeah, for me, <laughs> we, could, we could go into that all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it's audio for me, man. And so when odd, the fact that audible exists, I'm extraordinarily grateful that I live in a time right now where one of the leading ways of media is is the one that i learn best with yeah well hey there's more uh, value in the market for amazon right right so how much code are you writing are you the only developer there what language are you partial to get some developer stuff yeah um so i'm not the only developer we have a, a small development team pretty rapidly growing we've got a million job openings as we're pretty quickly expanding um but uh, I write code. I write code. I wouldn't say every day, um, though I try to. Um, you know, I try to stay fairly deeply involved beyond just the high-level product, because um, I do think there's a transition period that everyone has to go through from sort of that early hacker type CTO to you know a development lead to managing to overall just high level interacting with these different businesses. And um, so I, I think we're still transitioning. And so I think there's still um, some in, inner workings that I need to be aware of, which you can only be so aware of if you're not writing code. Um, right. So I, I write code, you know, every other day, weekly type thing. Um, and we we're built in Ruby on Rails. Um, Yay. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's been great for us um, in terms of being able to rapidly prototype. And um, then once we get past the prototyping, actually build a real structure and real base behind it. Um, so it's been really great for us going forward. Yeah, we had Singer Ryan Singer on the show. He's one of the leads with um, DHH and Jason Freed over at Basecamp. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, he's a pretty cool dude. Um, so do you guys have your own APIs that companies are integrating with, or do you just provide the software right now? Yeah. So we, so we provide the, so basically the way a lot of our, a lot of our customers and our facilities, our vendors interact with us is they're basically using just our software, you know, web-based in the browser, um, interacting in the warehouse. We have some other different um, methods of interacting via the phone, so on and so forth, because they're scanning product and whatnot. Um, but I'll, in most cases, they're interacting through our software. Um, we do have different APIs that we're interacting with, and we are rolling out our initial um, API to some different select companies to 
play around with and better understand. Um, but primarily they're interacting through our software. Now, when you, when you go look, I'm kind of taking a poll here, right? I'm asking a couple different people, these same, this, this question right here. Mm -hmm. Um, when I'm looking for an API, let's say for like natural language processing, maybe I was doing a project that involved that, right? Okay. What I would do is I would kind of search around for what I want, look at the two or three options, see which one has the best documentation, the most resources, like looks really alive, you know, mm-hmm. like looks like there's stuff happening as a good team, all that stuff. And then I kind of make my decision. If like three of them all solve the problem, then I will make the decision based on, uh, how well their documentation is, how much resources, how alive they are. Do you do the same thing? When we're, uh, when you're, when you as a developer are looking to just integrate an API, like forget stored for a second, just like in general, when you're looking to integrate an API, Oh, um, definitely. how do you make that decision process? You know, definitely. It's a huge part of it. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna throw anybody under the bus, but <laughs> a huge part <laughs> of uh, huge part of that, you know, even for stored is as we're considering some of these different factors, obviously we don't have as much choice, um, with when we're working with different companies and different things with stored, but as a personal developer, you know, I think if an API doesn't have good documentation or doesn't have people actively using it, who could act as that documentation, I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's a hard, it's a hard decision to even try to remotely use it because, you know, then you're basically just shooting in the dark, trying to rebuild the API in your head from scratch, right. which doesn't make any sense. Um, doesn't save anyone any time. Um, so, I mean, in our case for stored, we see this all the time where, you know, we work with some different APIs and some of them will have great documentation, have some different people using them and we can, you know, our development team can fly through that in practically a day almost versus in other cases, we're working with some different APIs that believe it or not have zero documentation out there to help. And, uh, so, you know, we have to really invest a significant amount of time just trying to literally just troubleshoot back and forth with this API. Um, so that's a huge, huge thing for me. Yeah, because I was, I was talking to this guy and super brilliant guy, right? And we were talking about natural language processing and all this stuff. And they have a big team. They're doing great things. I actually have experience building something in the world that they're in. So I knew some of the domain specific stuff that, that they deal with. Mm-hmm. And so excited, so pumped. And then I pop open the browser to, to go to their site and click on the the docs and it's like there's like one page it looked like it was put up overnight and oh, then there man. was like one example of how to use it and i'm like dude nobody knows like you're in it so you understand what you do you guys all eat sleep and breathe it your whole engineering team is all about it all the time you're rocking and rolling in your offices and, and but when people when a developer that has this problem comes to your site they're like nope yeah and they move on yeah no i mean I think that's the toughest thing, both for APIs to other developers, and then even just for general software use to your end customer. I think the part that so many companies overlook is literally the documentation and the walkthroughs and the help. Those are some of the, those are really your key features, because if nobody knows how to use it, 
there's no point in it even existing, you know? I've been introduced to more APIs and softwares, little widgets and things like that that I would integrate with by just scanning around through someone's guide that they that they wrote about it. Like, oh, this is real pain. And it took me 20 hours to figure out, here's a guide on how to do it. And yeah. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, oh, wow, you know? that's useful, you know? <laughs> yeah, that is, uh, they could do that. We didn't even know. <laughs> yeah, saves me 20 hours, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, thank you, sir. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, and then I feel like such a, like a jerk because it's like there's this little button that says coffee for $2. I'm like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know you skim past it too. Yeah. Like I feel bad. I do feel bad, but it happens. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's tough. It's 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 one of those weird things. I weird phenomenons I think on the internet is like, especially as you see some of these different uh publishing companies and different um content providers throwing up these paywalls of, you know, if you're a subscriber, you get XYZ or these other things and like the majority's natural reaction is, all right, ad blocker it is, <laughs> you know, skip. Yeah. Uh, and it's such a weird phenomenon, but yet we'll pay, I don't know, however much, I don't even know how much Amazon Prime is, but monthly for Amazon Prime, even if we don't use it an entire month, you know, it's, uh, it's a weird. It's because it's value. That's true. And maybe that gets back to the overall value to the end consumer. But see, this is what happens. The market ch is changing. And so now content has become this requirement that you must have that you can't really charge for to your viewer of the content. So you have to be in a space where you're you have a product and then you're creating content around the product and then people are and then you're also creating content in the space. That way, like if stored was creating content around things in the warehouse world, then the warehouse people are going to be reading it because it's their world and they're going to see that stored produced it. Right. So I'm a, I'm a kind of a fan of Gary Vee's whole thing now where every company needs to act like a media company. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I do think, I do think, especially if you have a product, you have to be putting out so much content, even just around the product itself. So I, I want to wrap it up with, uh, did you watch the SpaceX launch? Yes, that was incredible. <laughs> Dude, I was, I was so excited. I was just, if I could do a physical backflip, that would have been a moment where I pulled that out. I can't though. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I almost did one in the office. I was, I was pretty close. <laughs> nice. So, so if Elon Musk called you up, invited you over, he's got a time machine, you're going to jump back, give yourself some advice from 10 years ago. What are you going to say? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I would say spend the most time learning. Learn as a business, spend the most time learning your customers, and personally, just spend the most time you can learning every little piece of information. Because at the end of the day, it all connects back together. That's great advice. <laughs> your uh, your past self says thank you. By the way. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully hopefully he can make better use of it. <laughs> well, he clearly has because we're here talking Forbes 30 and a 30 stored. You're doing it right. All that happened. The loop's been closed. Congratulations, <laughs> my friend. Well, I appreciate it. I'm glad, uh, you know, glad to be here getting to talk to you and uh, learn from all of all of the different people you've had on board. So it's been amazing.
Thank you so much for listening to the Modern CTO Podcast. Share this. Get the word out. Thank you guys so much. I couldn't do it without you. I appreciate it. You guys are the absolute best.